me invite you to take your Bibles and go to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. I don't know if you've ever had a situation in your life where you really needed someone in authority to show up. Reese and I had that a number of years ago. We had, uh, during the 20 years that we lived in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, we were close enough to the border with Mexico that uh, we would take occasional day trips over there and go across the river and do shopping and, you know, some of the tourist stuff. And uh, one day we needed some stuff. seemed like it was medicine, but I don't remember exactly. And so we were going to go across the border, and it was about a 15, 20-minute drive for us. Uh, I took a way that I didn't normally travel, mainly because we were going to one of those towns across the border that was not um, the tourist trap that some of them are. And um, it was on this road that we saw one of those events unfold that uh, seems to go into slow motion while you're watching it. It was a long straight road, and uh, we got probably, I don't know, a half a mile or three-quarters of a mile from a major cross intersection. And I watched as a vehicle, a van, pulled out in front of the car that was coming towards us. And as the Car disappeared behind the van. It's like everything went into slow motion. And then I saw the car as it plowed in. It was a 60 mile an hour highway. And I watched that car plow into that van and both of them go spinning out. And, uh, so Teresa and I whipped over to the side of the road. She was, uh, first aid certified at that point. And so I knew that, uh, this was probably a situation those people were going to need help. And sure enough, we, Whipped over the road. Lauren was in the car with us. She was fairly young. We told her to stay in the car. We ran up to the accident site, and it was uh, everything that you imagine it would be a high, uh, impact, high rate of speed impact like that. On top of the physical injuries to the girl that was in the car, let's just say that her ankle bent at an angle that your ankle was never intended to bend. Uh, we heard screaming uh, from... Someone who was looking for their child who somehow got lost in all of that. And so, I don't know, seemed like an hour, but it was probably 15 or 20 minutes. On the scene there, we were trying to console the girl. We waited for the ambulance and the authorities to show up. Meanwhile, traffic was speeding by, and uh, so I got out and tried to do some traffic direction. All the while thinking to myself, where's the ambulance? Where are the sheriff's deputies? Where's the help? I think that that serves as a good example for us of some of the situations we come to in life. And instead of asking for an ambulance or a sheriff's deputy or a police officer, we sometimes find ourselves in such straits that we wonder, where's God? And the good news about that for us in that particular accident scene, that sooner or later the ambulance and the authorities did show up. And when they did, there was an immediate sense of release for me. No longer was I feeling responsible for what happened there. It was now in the hands of the trained experts. And the sense of peace that came in that is hard to explain. When we find ourselves in situations in life, And we're wondering, what do we do with this? What's going to happen here? What we really need is for God to show up. Because when God shows up, a whole new reality kicks in for us. Today, and actually in just a handful of minutes, our church is going to go into a 
called business meeting and we're going to vote on whether to move forward with some recommendations that have come from several of our committees. We've been in this mode, some of us, for many months as a church. For the last month, it's been on the table. It's been in committee meetings, discussions, question and answer sessions, all kinds of behind-the-scenes work to try to make sure that we had everything on the table so that as a church, we together could make a good decision. What we need more than anything else today is for God to show up. Now, I know that there's a, a bit of theological house cleaning that I need to do with that statement. The reality is that God doesn't need to show up because God's already shown up and God's always here with us. Now, that's good for us to remember that because sometimes we live our lives as, as if God's somewhere on the backside of the farm and doesn't really know what's going on. God's with us, always with us. There's a good theological, one of those $4 seminary words that we use. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, but he's also always with us. As a matter of fact, for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, the Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us. God already showed up. But there is that sense that God sometimes shows up in a way that seems to be more tangible. It's, it's more than just the theological truth. It's that part where he breaks into our lives in a very intense way. And when that happens, everything changes, or at least our perspective of it does. Joshua chapter 5 is one of those instances. If you'll look with me, we come to this particular passage. It's at the end of chapter 5, going into chapter 6, which is the account of the fall of Jericho. So let me take you backwards in a couple of places in this message. I'm going to take us backwards and make sure we get the sense of what's going on here. But this is where we find the uh, children of Israel have gone out of Egypt. Moses, the great leader, was the one who, with God's power and Moses' leadership, as Moses followed God, he took them out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the wilderness. Forty years later, Moses exits the scene and Joshua, who has been Moses' number one man, now steps in. We get to Joshua chapter 1 and God is saying, Joshua, you're my guy. And even through these first five chapters, God has done some things to help the children of Israel recognize that Joshua is God's man for the moment. And yet now we find ourselves where these children of Israel are about to go into their greatest test to date. Now there have been battles along the way. Joshua was their military commander, even under Moses, and so Joshua was the warrior guy. And here, right in front of them, is Jericho. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But we find them in this state of in-betweenness. The wilderness is no longer home for them. Now they're in the promised land, but they're going to have to fight their way through. And it's in that context, Joshua, this budding leader of the children of Israel, finds himself waiting. And in verse 13, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with a sword, excuse me, with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worship and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
I want us to look today at this passage to see what happened when God showed up for Joshua and the implications it has for us on this day when we really do need God to show up for us as a church. Well, one of the things, the first thing I guess I want you to see is that when God showed up for him and when God shows up for us, clarity comes with it. Think about Joshua's situation here. He has been the man. You remember even uh, when Moses was alive and on their trek through the wilderness and trying to get to the promised land, there was that situation where they went to battle. It seems like it was with the Amalekites, if I remember right. And they're fighting this battle, and Joshua is the commander of the armed forces for Israel. And up on the bluff overlooking where they were fighting is Moses. And remember that story? As long as Moses' arms were raised up high, then the Israelites were winning. But when Moses got tired... Dropped his arms, and the Israelites started losing, and so Aaron and her held his hand. You remember that story, right? Joshua's a fighter. To this point, even though he was Moses' right-hand man, his primary function with the children of Israel was to be their commander. And so now, in this situation, it is the first military test for Israel after Moses exits. Joshua probably felt relatively comfortable with his role there, But there's no way he could have been comfortable with the task ahead of him because just directly in front of them was this city called Jericho. Strategic in nature for a number of different reasons, but one of the primary ones was the way that it was defended. We get into chapter 6 and we see the whole story of Jericho and we know that. I'm not going to get into it today. But we find Joshua now as this great military commander and he's got in front of him the greatest military test of his entire career and even what follows after that. If they could get past Jericho, they theoretically could just walk through the land. didn't work out that way for them. But Jericho is on the map. Strategically, the city-states of that area looked to Jericho to be the stop for those foreign invading forces coming across the Jordan River. It's in that context that Joshua, who leads this ragtag group of ex-slaves. Well, actually, their parents had been ex-slaves for the most part. They'd just been wilderness wanderers. They'd been, we would call them Bedouins probably or something like that, just wandering through the wilderness. And now... They come to fight a battle, and Joshua, the great leader, has the decision to make, how are we going to do this? We know, chapter 6, that how we're going to do this, actually God gives the answer in chapter 6, and it's the most unorthodox of all military strategies. I'm going to put the musicians out front. And just march. Makes no sense. From a military strategy perspective. That's Joshua's situation. And I believe that at this point Joshua needed clarity on what he was supposed to do. That's us, by the way. We find ourselves today at a strategic moment in the life of our church. No matter how the vote goes or whether we proceed with this project or series of projects that we're talking about, no matter how the vote goes, this is a strategic moment for us as a church. We need God to show up. And here's the deal. We need clarity on this because we struggle with letting our agendas carry too much weight for us. 
Now, that's a strong statement, and I understand that it might even be a little bit challenging. I don't want it to be offensive, but maybe if it's offensive, you need to listen closely for the next few moments. The reality is that when we come to these kind of decisions, we tend to take our agenda and move it to the forefront, and then we color everything else according to what our agenda is, whether it's for or against. I'm not saying either one here. I'm just saying that's one of our tendencies that we have. Let me show you what I mean by that. Let's take it as if you're going to go buy a car. When you go to look at that, unless you are independently wealthy and you just decide on a whim, I think I'll go buy a car, and you go down and you pay cash for it, most of us, real people, have to figure out how am I going to do this. As a matter of fact, one of the first questions we have to answer is, can I afford to do this? And so that sets in motion this series of um, evaluations that we make. And we get down in the weeds of the decision-making process and we weigh the pros and the cons and we build this stack over here that says, well, this argues in favor of doing this and this over here argues against doing that. And somewhere in the process, we find it starting to lean or tilt one way or the other. When it comes to our spiritual lives, we, well, I mean, what's the Christian thing to do? We pray about it. But even that is suspect with us because our agenda is so strong within us that even when we pray, it's important that we listen to how we pray. Because our agenda seeps into our decision-making process so much that we look at the pros and the cons and go, okay, well, I really want this new car. And so I might, if I was really honest, I might tend to kind of sway it towards the, yeah, that carries more weight. Yeah, let's get one. And so then we begin to pray about it and say, okay, God, now you know I need this car. You see, now that statement in itself is an agenda statement. You know I need. What we tend to gravitate towards is we finally pull God in on the end of the process if we're not careful. And we say to ourselves in one way or another, this must be God's will because it just seems so right to me. That's backwards. You got to know that's backwards. I'll come back to that in a few moments. But I want you to understand if we are not careful, our agenda will cover how we, or will color how we view the decisions that are to be made. And especially that's true today. Let me show you where I get this out of this passage. Look at verse 13 again. Now remember what I've said about Joshua. Okay? Before he was the leader, he was the military general. And so look at the agenda that Joshua brings to the table in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, now what that means is, He's got battle on his mind. When he was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? That is an answer that this man that he encounters here better get right or there's going to be a sword fight. Do you see that? He comes and he's got his sword drawn. Now we know, okay, we're from the perspective on this thing, and I happen to believe it's the right perspective, because Scripture tells us clearly this is the commander of the armies of the Lord. Now, um, let me just say this as an aside, okay? 
scholars are kind of on either side. Is it really God himself or is it just like an angel? And my answer is yes. It could very well be a theophany. That's what I believe of this. I think there's good uh, scriptural support for it. There's good internal support for this. Uh, that I believe this is God who comes in a human form here to make this confrontation with Joshua. Joshua responds appropriately for it to be that. Verse 6, by the way, this is a terrible place for a chapter division. Whenever homeboy way back when decided where to put the chapter divisions, he didn't get this one right. Okay, by the way, just in case you don't know, the chapter divisions are not inspired, okay? And Joshua did so, verse 15, and now Jericho was shut up, and the Lord said to him, this is a flowing narrative. I believe this is none other than God himself in a human form who shows up with Joshua. And when that happens, Joshua walks out, a military mind with battle on his mind, and he sees a guy standing there with a sword in his hand. What do you think he's going to think? Guy's here to fight. You want to fight? You came to the right spot. Notice how his question reveals his agenda. He doesn't ask who the guy is. His immediate question is, you for us or against us? It's his agenda. It bubbles up. What drives that is his background as a military mind and as a general. And it begs to me that that point that some guy very eloquently put, to a man with only a hammer, all of the world is a nail. Joshua's a fighter. He sees the opportunity for a fight. His agenda bubbles to the surface. We struggle with that. And here's a newsflash for you. God does never intend to adopt our agenda or your agenda or my agenda. God has his own agenda. And because he's God... He's the one who gets to decide how it goes. And I find that here in verse 14. Joshua's question is, are you on our side? Or are you on their side? And verse 14 says, the guy told him, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. Look at verse 14. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. In other words, hush. God's agenda must trump our agenda always. Let me say that another way. We have to adopt his. Our agenda doesn't really matter in the overall scheme of eternity. What matters is what God wants because God has historically, consistently, deliberately, and effectively marched through history to accomplish His ends. We are simply a spot on the historical map of that march. And it is our responsibility to check our agendas at the door and figure out where's God in all of this. So we have to see and we have to listen. And seeing and listening when we finally encounter God in the situation forces us to submit. And with that submission, we get clarity. Today's vote gives us the opportunity as a church to make a decision that will definitively color the life of this church in the days ahead.
It's important. And we've tried to give you a month's worth of opportunity to weigh the pros and the cons and to get the information and all of that kind of stuff. But now we're at the point where we can take all of that stuff and we set it aside and we say, ultimately, okay, God, regardless of what we know or don't know, what do you want us to do? I want you to notice, if you haven't already noticed, I've not been a cheerleader for this motion. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not for it. I am definitely for it. But I've not been a cheerleader for it because I don't want you to think that just because the preacher thinks it's a good idea that all of a sudden we ought to do that. That's crazy thinking. The reality is that we need to know what God wants us to do. And so when we come to this vote here in just a few moments, let's make sure that it's not because this person's for it that I'm for it or that person's against it so I'm against it. It's not because I understand it and therefore it can't happen. It, it has to be where is God in all of this and we've tried to emphasize that through this whole process. Where's God in it? And so the answer that we find from Joshua so far is that when God shows up, there is clarity. Interestingly... Joshua needed the clarity that God was with him because Joshua was getting ready to get the strategy for the battle. And if he didn't know God was with him, then he'd have thought that strategy was jacked up crazy. When God shows up, here's the next one. When God shows up, so do all of the resources that are needed for the task. Put yourself in Joshua's position here. If you're Joshua, the way I've laid all of this out, before this encounter, how would you have been praying about what lay ahead of you? <laughs> That's another way of asking, what, what did he need the most? Because we're going to be talking about resources here. What did Joshua need more than anything else? And maybe we get to that by, by asking ourselves, if I was in his position there, what would I be praying for? You know what I'd be praying for? I'd be praying for a meteorite to land right in the middle of Jericho so that I'd have to worry about those daggum walls that were surrounding it. Or cholera or something that would wipe through there so that I didn't have to get killed trying to take over this impenetrable fortress. I don't know how Joshua prayed. Uh, I got a feeling if he was anything like us, then he probably prayed some pretty agenda-revealing re uh, prayers. But apparently what he needed most was for God to show up because that's what God does. By the way, I want you to notice there that God showed up in a way that Joshua was clear to understand. He showed up like a warrior because Joshua understood war talk. God's really good about meeting us at the point of need. I think that was last week's message. Thank you, Aaron. By the way, good job. When God showed up, so did the stuff that Joshua needed. And here's one of the things that Joshua needed. Apparently, he needed to worship. <laughs> that sounds a little bit nuts. I know that. We're fixing to go into battle, so wait. Where's the musicians? Let's worship. Well, actually, no musicians in this deal, which probably challenges some people. But look at this. Here's a, here's a good statement for you. As, as we see this, it says that Joshua fell on his face and he worshipped. Remember what I said as I was preaching through our 
I know, of course, you don't remember what I said. Let me, let me give it back to you. Uh, as I was preaching through our purpose statements and the point of worship, I said my definition of worship, which would never last in a good seminary class on worship, but I like it. Okay? I think I find it in Scripture. It's simple, but I, that's okay. Here's my definition. Worship is the appropriate response when we encounter the living God. You don't have to think about what you do. You just do it. And Joshua proves that for us. He comes into the presence of God. And by the way, it's one of the reasons I think this is a theophany. And he falls on his face before God. Let me tell you something. As a church, we are not ready to make a big decision until we're in a posture or a position of worship. Let me say that again. That is a critical statement. Until we have worshiped, we're not ready to vote. And the reason for that is because when we worship, we take all of that pride and that spiritual stuff of us that says, I will be God. And we come into contact and sometimes conflict with a living God. And we are reminded that we are nothing but creation. He is creator. The appropriate response is to check our agenda and fall on our face and acknowledge that he is God forces us, worship does, to let God be God. And that gives us the proper view of his love and his wisdom and all that he brings to us in life. I cannot for the life of me believe that in Joshua's case, as he was contemplating this battle and the possibility of certain death, I can't believe that Joshua would get to this point and believe that somehow God had taken him through all of the wilderness and all of the struggles and everything that went with that 40 years worth of wandering only to abandon them on the gates of Jericho. God doesn't bring his people just to drop them somewhere. But we know that best when we worship. We can so analyze and so think through details that we begin to lose sight of how God, God really is. Of how God, God really is. God doesn't abandon his people. Even if, hear me carefully now, even if we make the wrong decision, but our hearts are set to him, In this particular decision that we make, God will not abandon us. That's not an excuse just to half-heartedly decide what we're going to do. We need to know, God, where are you in this? And if we miss it, it's only because we misinterpreted, not because we abandoned you. So we ask, God, where are you in this situation? We need to worship first. Secondly, and I'll close with this. Joshua needed some courage for the task ahead. Look at verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Have you heard that before in Scripture? Isn't that almost verbatim what God said to Moses at the burning bush? Don't you think... May I should give you a little background here. One of the greatest studies that I've done in Scripture on my own, just kind of devotional studies, uh, and this ties to leadership. Greatest studies that, uh, in leadership in the, in the Bible is how Moses intentionally brought Joshua along. Moses didn't exit and then God go, okay, so who are we going to get to lead this group? 
from early in the process, God told Moses, you see this guy, Joshua, you bring him along. And so we find Joshua very strategically located alongside Moses in the development process to be ready for this moment with these people. Uh, and you know, at one point, Moses would, when they would be camped, they would have the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. And Moses would go there and he would commune with God. And the people, it says, would come to the doors of their tents and watch Moses. And they would be anticipating what God was going to say to him. By the way, that's what you ought to expect from your leaders. When they go to be with God, you expect them to come back with something to say. And so that's the deal. And the people would watch and Moses goes. And Scripture's careful to tell us. And Joshua would go with him and he would stand beside the door of the tent where he could hear what was going on inside. In all of those years of preparation between Moses and Joshua, Don't you suppose that maybe this story of the burning bush came up a time or two? I think that's important. First of all, it gave some credibility to what Moses was doing. Help us identify him as God's man for the job. I have to believe that he told that story to Joshua. And many times Joshua must have said, tell me that story again. Tell me a burning bush. What? And Why'd you have to take your shoes off? I think it's important that we see that that same phrase surfaces now on the verge of the greatest battle that they would fight to this point. God gives Joshua a definitive tie to his historical work. As I encountered Moses and gave him a responsibility and carried him through, so I encounter you and give you a responsibility and I will carry you through. Tell you something, that's where courage is born. When you know you're on sides with God. By the way, we change that most of the time. We try to get God on our side. Wrong choice. (laughs) That's an agenda statement. Here's the last part of this. Well, let me finish that by saying this. The forward look can paralyze us. Because of the fear that it brings with us. We just don't know what happens in the future. We're going to borrow how much money? We're going to borrow money? What if, and then you can fill in the blank, what if? The forward look can paralyze us with fear. But when God shows up, he gives us courage for the task. Because we know that he's not going to abandon us. That's important that we realize that because sometimes what God tells us to do does not fit our pro and con debate. (laughs) You ever prayed a prayer that is, God, if you want me to do this, I just need you to open a door. Or the other side of it is, God, if if you don't want me to do it, then I want you to shut the door. Okay, now those prayers are okay, but I want to take you to another level of maturity in your Christian life, okay? Sometimes God will say to you, I don't care about doors open or closed. I want you to walk through that wall and I will make a way for you when the time comes. That's scary. And I don't recommend you go walking into walls unless God told you to walk at that particular place. But you see, it all comes back to hearing what God has to say and choosing to be obedient to that, whatever it is. 
And in this case, if God is saying to us, don't do this, then by all means we should vote no. But if he is saying, I am in this, do this, and I will carry you through, then we better vote yes. When God shows up, everything we need is there. So I leave you with this question. Where is God in this? Let's pray. Father, we recognize that we now stand at the, at the brink. We have the opportunity as a gathered body to record our answer on whether we think you are in this or not. And we need you to show up. Help us to use the wisdom that you have made available. to push the things in our hearts and lives aside that would keep us from hearing you clearly. Take us into the future with a firm assurance that we have heard your voice. More than anything else, Father, we want to honor you. We want you to be honored through what we do here. So just... Tell us. That's our prayer. Father, I know that in this crowd today, surely there are some who are hearing your voice today. It has nothing to do with the vote about a facility. It has everything to do with their relationship with you and their need for peace and life and comfort and life itself. My prayer for them, that you would reach through them, that you would show up in their lives in a way that they would see their need for Jesus Christ they would turn to him even now as best they know how and allow you to be their savior and their God. Take us through these next few moments in your grace is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.